With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be looking at four verses this morning, verses 1 through 4, and our last sermon as it relates to a study on prayer. This is our ninth sermon. Uh, we originally started with six, I think, uh, was where we wanted to start with, and yet... Um, we wanted to continue to make sure we were helpful uh, in our our study on prayer. Now, we want to be clear that even today's topic, today's theme is praying comprehensively. Uh, And even though that's a little misleading, we won't be able to tell you everything there is to know uh, about prayer and how to pray, even in the questions that we had this morning. Uh, There's a variety of different scenarios and um, questions that you may have that uh, it's going to... um, uh, it's going to impact you, and you're going to, it's going to come to your mind. So we're, we know we're not going to be able to answer everything. Yet at the same time, we want to be as helpful as possible to provide you the principles necessary uh, to get you started and, and, uh, and get you on the right track and to encourage you to remain on the right track if you have been and are praying biblically. But our theme, our goal this morning is to pray comprehensively, That to understand there's a variety of different prayers and a variety of importance to prayer, and, and, and so we want us to, to navigate and, and evaluate that uh, last theme this morning as we, we think through this. And this is really, really important for us to think through, not just prayer in general, uh, but prayer specifically in light of recent events. I alluded to it earlier in our small group time for those that were there in the small group setting, but then uh, for us to apply this and think through this even as this morning as we uh, read this passage and we study the word, uh, yes, this Friday was the, in, the inaugural service for our 45th president, right? So whether or not you're a supporter uh, of our president or not, uh, you voted for our current president or not, is not the point. The point is, is that that service has happened. And it was interesting in that service as uh, my, my family and I watched it and observed uh, just uh, the, uh, this historic moment uh, of just the, uh, the uh, peaceful transition of power. Uh, and that's pretty interesting to see, despite how much war has gone on for power and control. And to think that uh, now for the 45th uh, transition, uh, there's been a peaceful transition, transition of power has been in, is, is encouraging to think through. But even in that, it was amazing to see how, many, how much scripture reading and prayer was incorporated into that inaugural service. And then shortly thereafter, uh, the... There was a variety of other events and things that uh, the new president and vice president and their families attended. And then we were preparing for a wedding, and we were uh, having breakfast, and, and we were uh, on the television there. And the and, um, uh, hotel was the uh, prayer service, national prayer service, and it represented a variety of different religions and, um, and all the variety of different prayers and what they're praying. And, and I only bring this up is to be able to think through this particular passage is going to be addressing us praying for all people. And this particular passage is going to highlight kings and those who are in authority over us, which would lead to what was taking place on Friday and on Saturday. 
But at the same time, for us to think carefully about what's taking place, because the vast majority of the prayers that were prayed at the inaugural service and the vast majority of the prayers that were prayed in the, the, the national uh, prayer service, so those two different services, did not reach the ears of God in a manner that he would answer those prayers. You think, well, man, that seems really prideful on your part and really uh, presumptuous on your part. I pray neither one is the reality of my heart. I just want to be clear of what the Bible teaches. God hears the prayer of the righteous. God hears the prayer of his saints. And God hears the prayers that are in line with his word, his will, and his ways. And so when they're praying in the name of other gods, they're not praying to the God that we are praying to, number one. Number two, when they're praying in selfish manners and in selfish motives, the Bible says that we have not because we ask not, but then we have not. Uh, we pray and we do not receive because we ask wrongly or we ask amiss. And so the reality is that the, much of the prayers that were being uttered on behalf of our president, on behalf of our nations, were not reaching the ear of God because of the, the ways and manners upon which they were praying, which is, fits right in with what we, we have been studying for some time. And so it can be true for us, too, if we're not thinking biblically, we're not praying biblically, praying thoughtfully, praying with humility, right? Praying corporately, praying confidently, uh, praying uh, righteously, praying spiritually. A variety of these prayers that we've walked through, now we're going to be studying here this morning, praying comprehensively, there's a potential that the prayers that we pray do not, reach the ear of God. And that's not what we want. And this is actually what over a year ago now spurred Pastor Tim and myself to even start the study and to walk through the study is that we were at a gathering of pastors and much of the prayers and much of the sermons on prayer were not biblical. And it grieved us to be able to think, what can we do to, to, to help to think through this process? And one of the things was we've not taught our faith family um, what the Bible says about prayer. And so that's why, hence the study that we've been going through the last nine weeks. And so starting next week, just for your information, for information's sake, we'll be back, uh, resume our study in Second Peter, which we were. We'll be in Second Peter chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 4, and we'll be back to our uh, systematic study of verse by verse, book by book, uh, through the Bible. Uh, and we'll resume our study on Second Peter. But that's why, even in line of recent events, as just yesterday and the, and the day before, it's important for us to, to think through these processes. And then even Congress will start their, their opening session of Congress. begins with prayer. And, and yet, well, many times we'll then shortly thereafter vote on things that are completely contrary to the will and the word and the ways of God. So were those prayers heard? And were those prayers uh, uh, answered? And so that's what we, we want, have been attempted to accomplish. And that's why this morning, as we study praying comprehensively, we want to make sure that we are uttering proper prayers, and we're uttering the, the, the variety of prayers that the Bible would encourage us to utter. And so here in First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we we're, we're going to read a, a section of Scripture. I just want to give you some instructions on what the, the letter is uh, about, who the letter is, to give you some context. I know when, when we're preaching topical sermons, we want to try to be as, uh, as close to expositional preachers as we possibly can. Even It's difficult when you're having to pull a variety of topics and, uh, and help to think through systematically how prayer fits into the, the Bible at large. Uh, but even still, we try to do our best to just pull it out of a passage and then just simply lift out the understanding of those particular exercises we're doing this morning. But in that we're not walking through the whole book, right? And so just to give you some understanding, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. 
Timothy is now the pastor at Ephesus, and so he's writing to Timothy. And the whole intent of the letter to, to uh, Timothy is Paul's encouragement to help Timothy to put that house, the house of God, the household of God there in Ephesus in order. There's been some things that had gone wrong. Uh, there's some not proper way of thinking through um, uh, the life of the saint in the, in the context of the body of Christ and the actions of a saint in the, in the context of the corporate body, the assembly of God, of God, of Christ there at Ephesus. And Paul's writing to Timothy to give him instructions in that. Very similar to what we're doing in our study on prayer is to help our, our body think through proper uh, praying, proper application of prayer in our lives. And so he starts off with just a clarity and a warning against false teachers, understanding of the gospel, and then from that understanding of the gospel, he then makes this statement, which will be our four verses of study this morning. He says in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning. Help us to understand properly how to interpret this passage. The intended meaning of how Paul was pinning these principles to Timothy and how your, your spirit was inspiring him to, to write these things, bringing things to mind and aiding him in it, uh, that he would know how to properly uh, order the church. And so, Lord, that's why we're here this morning, that we would understand you. And in that understanding, as we behold you, we would become like you. We would be conformed to the image of your son, the Lord Jesus, that in that we would love you more. We would enjoy you more. That your commandments would not be burdensome, but we would see them as a blessing, as a means of protection. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to understand how our prayer life should be made, our prayer should be made on behalf of all men. Lord, at the onset, I want to confess that, Lord, I've been guilty of not praying for all peoples, especially those who I would disagree with who I would feel were wrong, that were potentially enemies. And yet your word encourages us to pray for kings and those in high positions. Pray for those that, who aren't saved, that, Lord, that they may come to a saving knowledge of you, and that is your will, that is your desire, that you desire all people to be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to understand so that we could apply, that we would be not forgetful hearers, but be doers of your word. And so, Lord, help me to uh, speak clear, clearly, help me to speak carefully, Lord, about your word, that I would not misrepresent anything that your text says. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so praying comprehensively. Three major points, and in that, in your notes, if you have your, your notes there, I'd encourage you to take those out. Uh, you can fill in the blanks as we go along, and then uh, take additional notes uh, as well if it would be fruitful and helpful to you. So the first thing is praying comprehensively. I want us to see is that the importance of praying comprehensively the importance of it how important it is that we pray i know many times even some discussions with church members 
as we really begin to grasp the sovereignty of God, that he's in control of all things and that he has allowed and ordained the things that, have, that come into our lives and that come to pass in our lives, that many times as we, we see how highly exalted God is and how in control God is and nothing takes God by surprise, it, it potentially can, and it should not, but it potentially can make us ask the questions, if God already knows the things that we need, why do we need to ask? And if God's... De- decreed will as far as what is going to happen if he's the alpha and the omega if he's the beginning and the end he knows what he's the first and the last he knows what's going to happen before anything ever did happen then why in the world should we pray at all what would be the importance of us praying does our prayers really change anything and the reality is in this passage it begins to help us to see the importance of praying comprehensively First thing we want to see is prayer is vital to the mission of the church. Prayer is vital to the mission of the church. Now, you're going to think about the mission of the church. You see the mission of all of us, first and foremost, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, as, as uh, the catechism would, would help us to be able to see, right? So it's to enjoy God and to, glor- or to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our ultimate aim. When we think about it, there are going to be certain things that the body of Christ will not do once we reach heaven, right? There's certain things that we will not do once we reach heaven, once there is a new heaven and a new earth, right? We will not have need at that particular moment, so we will not be needing to petition God that we would need our daily bread, right? Or to uh, keep us from the evil one, or to forgive us, or that we would help, help ask for his aid to forgive others, Right? So there are a variety of things that we wouldn't be able to pray for the lost because at that particular moment it will be, uh, there will not be a lost. There will be uh, those who are in heaven and those who are in hell and there won't be any, there will be resigned to those places for eternity. And so there will not be many things that we'll be able to do. And so as we think through this, the, the mission of the church, yes, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But the primary mission of the church as we're being conformed to the image of Christ is to go and make disciples of all the nations, Right? If there had not been sin in the world, that was what was going to take place, was going to transpire through the marriage relationship and through procreation. If, marriage, if sin had not entered the world, that ultimately as children were, were, were conceived and given in birth, that ultimately the, the, the world would be full of the glory of God as there would not be any sin on the planet. But sin did enter the world. There was the fall of man. And as a result of that, that God's glory is made known as we share the gospel and as sinners repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus. And so here in this particular passage, Paul says, first of all, right? So his, he's been warning against false teachers and they're preaching falsely and then a clarity of understanding of what the gospel is and that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He says, now, in this pursuit to see you guys make disciples of all nations, Timothy, as you lead the church of Ephesus to be on mission with you, yes, doctrine is so vitally important. You need to get your doctrine right. But as we're, we're thinking about understanding the Bible rightly, We need to understand that this is a spiritual war. This is a spiritual battle. And salvation does not belong to you and I. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we need to seek the Lord for his aid in sharing the gospel and for the salvation of sinners. And so prayer is vital to the mission of the church. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a 
peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his truth. From beginning, he says, first of all, what you guys need to understand is I desire all people to be saved. And you don't know who those individuals who will be called out, who will be saved. I do. You do not. And as a result, it's vital for you to be in line with my will, my ways, my word, my purposes. And the only way you can be in in line with that is for you to understand how vital prayer is to this mission. How vital prayer is to this mission. It conforms us. It's a means by which it reminds us of who God is, of who we are, where our trust should rely our utter helplessness and hopelessness apart from, from God's activity. I've heard uh, a preacher say that as he was being trained in seminary classes, that his professor would take him out to a cemetery and encourage him to preach to tombstones, asking him to call these tombstones out from, from the grave. And before you think this was a charismatic uh, pastor or a, or a crazy pastor or some kind of lunatic of some sort, the simplicity of that was for the, the young Seminary students to realize that they are preaching to dead men. And the reality is dead men will not come alive apart from the spirit of God and the word of God. And so we are responsible to preach the word of God faithfully, but we are, are, cannot control the spirit of God. It blows, as John 3, as he wishes. And so the result in that is for us to then to be dependent upon God in prayer. That we, as Tim has prayed, as I prayed this morning, that we'd be faithful to the text. And then God's word, we know, will not return null or void, but will accomplish what God pleases it to accomplish. And so we, it, prayer is vital to the mission because our mission is for God's glory to be made known. The only way God's glory to be made known is that we would faithfully go proclaim this good news in as many venues as we possibly can, trusting that the word of God is faithful to accomplish its end. And our trust is in the word of God and in the spirit of God. The spirit of God is active and he is moving and he is working. And we believe that and we trust that. But not in many of the ways that people believe today. It actually is undermining the spirit's work and undermining the word of God. And so prayer is vital to the mission of the church because he says, first of all, of all the things that Paul could have told Timothy, he says, first of all, I want you to pray and to pray for all people. And he didn't make a list of a variety of ways that you can pray for all people, that they would understand that it's good that all people would be saved. So first, the importance of prayer conference, prayer is vital to the mission of the church. Number two, prayer is not optional to the church. Prayer is not optional to the church. First of all, then, then, well, what's that in light of? Well, in light of the fact that we know Christ is the one who brings salvation to all people, in light of there are false there are false teachers out there. So we, as Tim prayed, uh, told us last week, we want to pray that false teachers would be stopped. For those imprecatory prayers that was come into play. We want their mouths to be stopped, their mouths to be shut. We want the gospel to go forth. We want there to be clarity in the gospel message. We do get angry when we hear people preach falsely. My spirit was grieved when I watched the national service or the national prayer service. That's beginning to think how utterly hopeless and helpless is this? I told my wife, I said, I'd be very difficult for me to be at that service. Just realizing that it's just a simply an exercise in futility. An exercise in tolerance. The vast majority of those prayers did not reach the ears of God. What are we doing? We're just welcoming 
a plurality of gods in, in a sense. And we know there's, no but one, there's not but one God, but a plurality of potentially demons then into a service. The Bible would say, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Prayer is not optional for us as a church. It's not listed here. It's a more of a pleading and an urging in this particular passage. But there's other passages where the Bible would absolutely communicate that prayer is a command that should be obeyed. I have it there in your notes. First Thessalonians five 17. I'll back up and read verse 16 and following. But it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there it's a command. Pray without stopping. We ever think we've reached the point where we've arrived and we don't need God's help. We don't need God's aid. We don't need to communicate with God. Absolutely not. Men and women, for us, we can, we can be so theologically sound that we've, like, we've gained such knowledge of who God is that we don't think we need God any longer. What a tragedy in our approach to thinking through the Bible if we ever arrive at that particular place. If there's anything the Bible should teach us, the more that we know about God, the more we want God. That's exactly what Moses saw as he spent time with God. Right? Exodus chapter 33, after seeing God manifest his glory in a variety of means, what did Moses pray? God, show me your glory. Reveal more of yourself to me. I want more of you. And so for us, as we learn about the things of God, here's what it's done for, you, for me as your pastor. Ross, how unbelievably helpless and hopeless. I know I've used that term various times, but that's exactly what I want us to understand. We are apart from God. John 15 would say that if we abide in him, his words abide in us, we will bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do a whole lot of things. It's not what the scripture says. We can do absolutely nothing. We need God's aid. We need his help. And so prayer is not only vital to the mission, but prayer is not optional to us as a church. He's commanded us to pray. Samuel, as a prophet of the Old Testament, understood that. Far be it that I would sin against you, God, that I would cease to pray for the people. And yes, in the New Testament, we see that as well, that we should pray for one another. And so the importance of praying comprehensive prayer is vital to the mission of the church. Prayer is not optional to the church. And prayer is beneficial to the church. Prayer is beneficial to the church. It says it there in verse 2, it's prayer is made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? Here's the purposeful cause. Here's why it would be beneficial. That, purposeful cause, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Prayer benefits us as we pray. It protects us from without and it protects us from within. So how do you see that? Well, here in this, that we may lead a peaceful, it speaks of uh, outside disturbances. And quiet, which speaks of internal disturbances. That we have a peaceful and quiet life. When we think about who the Bible has asked us to pray for, as we Pray for our leaders in authority, even if they, are, they don't line up the way we are uh, biblically. They don't have a biblical worldview. They don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly where, where Paul and Peter and Timothy and, and those of the New Testament find themselves. The superpower of that time was not 
um, Barack Obama, our former president, or Donald J. Trump, our current president. It was Nero. And as much as you see that our former or potentially our current president may not be uh, in line with the things of God or the word of God, the will and the ways of God, the reality is neither of these guys so far that we've seen are as bad and as, as wicked as it relates to uh, outwardly manifesting a means to hate God's church the way Nero did. And yet the instructions weren't given here by Paul to Timothy. Hey, you, you just equip the church of Ephesus and you guys protest. Well, first of all, they wouldn't do that because they would be utterly wiped out. First and foremost. But secondly, that's not God's means. The instructions from the Bible tells us that we don't wage war in the physical world. We wage war in the spiritual world. We don't war against flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers of the air. Our weapons are not weapons for earthly battle, but for spiritual battles. And so prayer is that means, is that weapon. And so as we begin to pray for those who are in high authority, even if they're resistant to us, as the world begins to realize that we're not a threat, and that's not to say they won't hate our theology, but here's the key. They should not hate us and how we behave against them. They may not agree with what we believe, but they should not hate how we behave. In interacting with the lost world, we should be able to demonstrate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit. As much as they, they hate us, or would attack us, or would scorn us, or malign us, or slander us, and our response is winsome, and is gracious, and is kind. And we would have to graciously disagree, and have to um, uh, willingly um, uh, lack submission in areas where we cannot line up with them, and that's right to do. But I don't believe it's the intent of us to be out protesting and, and impeding traffic and hindering uh, the, 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 our society in a way that would be negative. And how do we then make an impact? We pray! The God of the universe who controls all things, do we not believe He is able Do we not pray that he can change the hearts and lives of individuals and then live in such a manner that we believe that, that would actually embolden us to speak as we ought, that we would have boldness and pray for one another, as the Bible would say on numerous occasions through the epistles of Paul, that God prayed that we would have boldness to speak as we ought, that the message of the gospel would be clear in its proclamation as it goes forth from our lips. I think the reason we hide behind protests and behind petitions and a variety of those other means is because we do not believe in in the weapons that truly bring about change. The word of God and prayer. When the church was first instituted, when it was first conceived at Pentecost, what was the elders spending the majority of their time? Listen, we can't be distracted with all of the, the, the carrying out of, of all the, the tasks of ministry. We have to, uh, to assign ourselves to what's most important. The, word, the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. And I think, men and women, I think our approaches and our ecclesiology of how we've meaning our study of the church and how we've organized our church has become so worldly that we can fill our edifices numerous times over. And yet, as First Timothy would, would instruct, or the letters from Paul to Timothy would, would instruct us, that they would have a form of godliness, we deny its power. And that's why we want to teach, why we want to, to live and, 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 
and pray in a manner that would bring glory to God and, and really release the power for us to, to see God work because why we, it is He who works and wills to accomplish His great purposes. And we are but a vessel. And so as we pray for those, and they begin to realize, that yes, they might not like us and all that we stand for. Yes, that despite the fact they cry out for tolerance, that they themselves are intolerant of our views. They would realize that though we do not line up, we are not a threat to them. The vengeance is mine, our rule repay, thus says, not the Democrats and not the Republicans and not the Libertarians, but the Lord. Our trust is in Him. And so it's beneficial then, as we pray for those in high positions, for our kings and those who lead over us, that they would begin to see that ultimately it would lead to a peaceful life. And it would lead to, as we then trust the Lord with difficult situations. We trust the Lord in difficult times that leads for us to have quiet lives. That there's not inner turmoil. We're not anxious people. We trust the Lord. That yes, God could send, as He did to His people in the past, God could send neighboring nations to come and actually attack our land and destroy our families and destroy our crops and, and to harm us physically, economically, in a variety of other ways. And it was a part of God's sovereign purpose to accomplish that. It's part of his judgment, even as he did his own people in the Old Testament. That even in the midst of those times, we can be at peace. That we can, there can be an inner quiet. There can be an inner peace, uh, inside, internal peace that would reside there. Because why? God's already told us that we're at peace with him, right? And that's the peace of God that surpasses our understanding. It will guard our hearts and guard our minds from worry, from fear, and from anxiety. And so it's, prayer is not only vital to the mission, Prayer is not, it's not optional to the church, and prayer is beneficial to the church as we pray comprehensively. Number four, prayer is a moral responsibility of the church. You say, well, isn't that right in line with what you said about prayer is not optional to the church? Yes, but I want you to see that it's, as verse 3 communicates, just 3 and 4, that morally it is good for us to pray and for us to pray for the lost, for us to pray for our kings and those who are in high positions. He says this is good, verse 3, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. It's good to pray for lost people. Lost, not use the word lost, I mean for those who are unregenerate, unsaved, who have never repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. The Bible says it's good for us to pray for all people, for those who are lost, for those who are saved, those who lead over us, those who lead our homes, who lead our churches, who lead other churches, who lead other homes, for a variety of church members, as we'll see in just a moment. This is good. It's right to do this. I think about this one command alone. This one pleading, this one urging alone to pray for all people. You think, well, there's no way I can do that. You know how many billions of people are on this planet? It's impossible to do so. But the reality is, is that, once again, as we think about praying comprehensive and its com- completeness. How often are we praying for people who aren't like us? How often do we pray for other nations? How often do we pray for our neighbors? How often do we pray for other churches? Other churches are not our enemy. They may not line up with everything that we do, but there are other believers in other churches, in other denominations. Now, we have to be careful. 
Because there are cults and there are denominations that would, we would, should be labeled as cults that would not line up with us and would actually undermine the gospel. And so we need to be clear. But then there are some differences that we have within the body of Christ that can, that are, that are secondary or tertiary or secondary or, or third level issues that people who believe differently than us will be in heaven when we die because why? They're trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. But it is morally right for us to pray for others because God commands us to do so. And so our prayer is moral, our moral, or is a moral responsibility of the church. And lastly, as far as the importance of praying, comprehensive, praying comprehensively, prayer is a powerful work of the church. It's a powerful work of the church. Now, I don't pull that out of this particular text, but I hearken back to a text that we studied several weeks ago as we were praying corporately. Listen to James chapter 5, verse 16 and following. He says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, and then gives us an example. Elijah, verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Prayer is a powerful work of the church. And I believe in many ways we've, we've set it on the shelf, and we've said, hey, you know, when I, at a variety of times when things get bad, I'll pray. We're missing out on communing with God. We're missing out on opportunity to see God's handiwork, to see God transform us and God work in the lives of others as we pray. And so I want to say this morning as we're looking at praying comprehensively, the, first of all, the importance of praying comprehensively. Number two, then we'll see the elements of praying comprehensively. The elements. We kind of alluded to some of this in week one, and I'll, I'll speak to that too going back to the Lord's Prayer but it's really interesting to see how you see a variety of at least four elements of prayer in this particular passage. One of the reasons why I wanted to, to preach this passage to you this morning. The elements of praying comprehensively, what we see is praying can be expressed in a variety of ways. Praying can be expressed in a variety of ways. We, we, as we pray, we've already walked through those and think about it. How do we pray for those who are sick? How do we pray for, for people spiritually and physically? How do we pray corporately? How do we pray biblically? How do we pray with confidence? How do we pray in light of anxiety? And so there's a variety of ways that we can pray. The prayer can be expressed to God. And so here you see in this, it says, first of all, then I urge that, and it gives uh, four examples, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, in one way, many of those can just be all collapsed into uh, an understanding of prayer. They could potentially could be synonyms for one another. It's prayer. But I believe it's important for us to see that he listed all variety of aspects of it. It, it, can, it can be delineated in some ways. There can be a way to, to separate them out. Right? That ultimately, hey, we can say, well, uh, what's your, your major? And you say, well, I'm a communications major. And then they begin to then talk about how specific the communications major is. Or I'm a major in biology. And then they begin to use words I cannot even understand or, or repeat because I've, they're well above my pay grade, right? And so they begin to communicate. And in, in this way, in a variety of ways that we could begin to, to speak about what we do in a general way. And so we could say, well, this, we should pray. But then we understand there's a variety of ways that we can pray and that we, we, we communicate to God. And so in this, he begins to say, I want to just walk through some of these and explain. And then I'll uh, list out for you five. One of them's already listed in your notes. But four additional ones, just that 
uh, in grouping prayer together that you can kind of begin to see here. And once again, you, I, I could really splinter these out and make them more, but I was just trying to keep major headings for us as we walk through this. And so you think, well, what? this isn't on the list, this isn't on the list. I would probably incorporate this one and tie it under another one. That's fine as far as how we might break down prayer uh, as far as in its um, uh, details. But I wanted to just list four of these. But let me first explain what the context of the passage is. It says, first I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So what are, that could be synonyms in some ways, but how are they different? First of all, supplications speaks about a need or a request. If you think about it in a way that we're asking God to supply something for us. Supplications, a supply. Lord, we're lacking in an area and we need your aid in this particular area. So supplications would be made. Two, prayers. And this word prayers is the most general for prayer that we would understand. It's kind of the overall encompassing of the word prayer here. So that prayers would be made. And so it'd be a general word for prayer. Interesting as I was studying in my commentaries how it uh, and uh, the word doing word studies on this, how it related that this word is always related to God and how then uh, people can say that it was, uh, wh- what are we thinking? And, uh, but at this particular word as it relates to communication always is in relation to making prayers to God, right? And so somebody can say, well, I petitioned the king or I, uh, there were supplications for this, but this word's always in relation to God. And so it speaks of worship. It speaks of a reverence for God. And so, Prayers, intercessions, uh, prayer, uh, supplications, prayers, and then intercessions. Intercessions. This speaks of, of uh, uh, getting, uh, getting with and having compassion and empathy for others. I just wanted to be the word intercede or intercessions for others. That you, you, you realize what they need and what they do not have. And so that you, you are sympathetic and compassionate for them. And so you intercede for them. And then lastly, in the past, it speaks of thanksgiving. That we're joyful. We're grateful. We're thankful to God. We think that we can pray to him and that he is a God who answers. And so in this, we see, just to go over your notes, in supplications, we realize were requests uh, that were made known, intercession, thanksgiving, adoration. And so sometimes people would, would try to collapse thanksgiving and adoration. The reason I left those separate uh, is I really like the distinction here between praise if it could be could be alluded to or adoration and thanksgiving was that many times thanksgiving is giving we're thanking god for the things that he's done and then adoration is thanking god for who he is right and so father hallowed be your name we want to thank him we want to praise him for who he is and not simply the things that he's done and so we have thanksgiving adoration and then confession Confession that we would confess our trespasses one to another, that we would confess we, that God, we ask, and even in the Lord's prayers, it leads us to think through that we would, uh, that we would be forgiven for our sins and we forgive those who sinned against us. There's many who are out there that would teach that once a person is born again, if God has made payment for all sin, then we should never confess sins again because they're covered under the cross. But yet then John writing to the church in 1 John says something different than that, does he not? He begins to speak to us about how we should view prayer even as believers. That's when he says in 1 John, verse 9, or verse 8, we'll back up. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, uh, or faithful and just, uh, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so confession is a part even of the believer of our relationship uh, with God in prayer. And so the elements of prayer and comprehensive we just wanted to be good to see that um, in this, that, do we, that we can pray. Praying can be manifested in a variety of ways. And then the second point to this is that praying should be, it's not only that it can be, but praying should be expressed in a variety of ways. And here's really the heart behind Pastor Tim and I, as we were walking through this, that many times our prayers, as we were looking at our motive in prayers, was, which was a much discussion in our small groups this morning, is that are we praying selfishly? And how do we know if we're praying selfishly? How do we examine that? One of the ways you can begin to see is that if your prayers are imbalanced, that are you praying in a variety of ways? One of the things I noticed in the inaugural service and clearly noticed in the prayer service, as best I could under, in the national prayer service, I didn't watch from, from start to finish. Uh, I did watch to the finish, but I didn't catch all of it from the beginning. So there might have been some sections that I missed. But what was completely absent that, I, that as far as I was able to view was confession. Very little, if any, and I don't think there was any that I heard, confession of sin. To, call, to agree with God, to call it what it is, to name the same thing. That we would confess sin as sin that would actually, in doing so, to, to, to see sin as God would see it, would naturally lead to repentance of sin, would it not? This is exactly what the Bible would encourage us to instruct us in. And so the reality was that we're all begging God, or the God that they believed was a God that isn't the one true living God, that His favor would be on our behalf and for us. And yet, as you've read through the Scriptures, this was the same problem with the Israelites as it came in the, in the time of Ezekiel. And they were worshiping other gods and they had idols right in front of their faces. And yet they came to the prophet asking him to, to intercede for them, to have sympathy and compassion, to talk to God on their behalf, to pray. And the response from God was, I will not answer them in light of their idols. There needs to be a confession that that is sinful and a removal of that. Once confession is had, we agree with it. And a natural response would be to repent and to forsake those sins. That God will not heed them. He will not answer them until the idols have been removed. This is exactly what Psalm 66, 18 says, right? If you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear you when you pray. It's the same thing you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, as it relates to men. If you do not live with your wives in an understanding way, your prayers will be hindered. And so confession is missing. So when you begin to look at your life, do you see those? Many times for us, it's heavy supplication. I need this, 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 and I need this. I need all these things. And so you, God, I, as it was alluded to this morning, um, uh, Stan was walking through, and I appreciate the way he, he's communicated that, and I could see that being true in my own life. Hey, God, here's the things I need, and here's the ways you can, here's two or three options and way you can deliver on what I need. I'll even tell you how you can, it can be answered. One, it could be selfish, clearly, right? Two, it's not saying, God, your will, your, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, right? I want your kingdom to come. It's not about my kingdom, it's about yours. It's not about my will, it's about yours. So it's yielding to that. 
submitting to that? And so in this, we begin to see and evaluate, are you praying in a variety of ways will aid us, will aid you and I as we look at evaluating our hearts and our motives. What's, why are we approaching God in this way? Are we thanking God for what we already have will lead to contentment? Do we adore God? Do, beholding Him. I love that in Second Corinthians where it says that we behold Him, we become like Him. We were transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So we look at God in the face of Christ Jesus in accordance to what the Word and how the Word describes our Savior. Supplication. Yes, we do need to want to pray for others. Do, there are needs for ourselves, our daily bread, sure. What about intercession? Realizing, getting down with those who, putting ourselves in their shoes. It's beautiful pictures that we see Paul doing that for uh, his kinsmen redeemed, or his kinsmen who are not redeemed, right? So it's the Israelites, it's in Romans chapter 9. Clearly, Moses on Mount Sinai, as he intercedes for them. Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, as he had learned to pray that way based upon how his Savior prayed from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Yes, the sin was irresponsible. They're culpable for the sins. But they had known, and did they make those sins willingly, knowingly? Sure. But if they had known truly what they were doing, they would not have done so. And so there's a compassion. This is exactly what Tim was hearkening back to last week as he was saying that, listen, we want to pray for justice, but then it's bittersweet, is it not? We want justice, but then if justice were had and God was to judge all sins and praying that God would sweep through in his judgment and remove all sin. Yes, I might be spared because, uh, or I would be spared because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, but guess who would not be spared? My children. At what level, when we talk about God removing sin, at what level do we want sin to be removed? What about on the lying level or the deception level in my heart? What about on the lust level or the envy level or the pride level in my life? We've got to be careful as we pray for justice, and we should, praying righteously, that it's coupled, as Tim communicated to us last week, is it's mingled with compassion and sympathy. Because why? We ourselves have sin that remains. We have the loved ones that are unsaved. And so the elements of praying comprehensively. And lastly, the scope of praying comprehensively. The scope of praying comprehensively. Prayer should be made for all people. He says, first of all, then I urge supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now think about that. How often are you and I praying for all peoples? You know, one of the things I love about the Olympics, besides just sheer competition, patriotism and all that, right? And just loving sports in general. I love the opening ceremonies and not all the, the carnality that can come along with that. But just seeing what might be a foretaste of what it will look like around the throne of grace in heaven. Where the Bible says that there will be Individuals from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue be represented there in heaven. Every people group represented. This gospel is going to the nations. It will not be stopped. His, 
the church of God, not the denomination, but God's body, his bride, will not be conquered, squelched, and put out. The gospel will make it to the ends of the earth because God's word has communicated to us every people group will be represented around the throne of grace. How often do we pray for all peoples? I'm beginning to see more and more, not only my hopelessness and helplessness apart from God, but how big a plan that God has and how much then I need to be praying for others. And this has been greatly challenging to me as I think through, do I do that? This past eight years, and even previous years, the previous eight years with George W. Bush and, and Bill Clinton and, and uh, George Herbert Bush, and so you just thinking through just the past few years, is this praying as the Bible would have me for kings and those who are in high positions, for Senate members and congressmen, various portions of our legislative and judicial branches, for our, the, the nine Supreme Court justices. I know many times that from my lips can be words that were not wholesome, that were corrupt, and I should not have spoken against a variety of Supreme Court justices. The sheer complaining and murmuring. When I should have been praying for them, praying for their salvation. And so the reality here is the Bible says that prayer should be made for all people. And then there's two points within that that we'll cover and we'll be, we'll be finished. First will be pray for the lost. It's exactly the heart of this particular passage. Is it's moving out of chapter 1 into chapter 2 and then it'll eventually move to chapter 3 uh, and, and lead about continue organizing. But as he's asking the church to pray, as he's encouraging the church to put in the church in order, of our utmost first importance, he says, man, you guys need to be praying for the salvation of lost souls. Understand which kingdom you're about. Uh, uh, um, as we prayed for Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, this is a spiritual kingdom. So as we're praying this, we need to be praying that the gospel would be we, we made known and that the lost would be saved. And so as we're praying for the lost, as he, gives, he then drills down to help us to see that we should pray for our government leaders, for kings and those who are in high positions. Once again, I alluded to this earlier, this isn't always the easiest thing to do, especially when they're antagonistic to the, to the claims of Christ and they're antagonistic to the will and ways and word of Christ. But men and women, we have much to be grateful for, much to be thankful for. We stand here this morning with little to no threat whatsoever that anyone's going to bust in here and shoot us up. The government's going to be handcuffing me and, and placing me in the back of a police car and taking me to prison for proclaiming the gospel. As, as difficult as, and, un, and divided as our nation may be at this particular time, great things have been accomplished in our nation. And so for us, as we think through this, we should be praying for our government leaders, those who are in high position and those who are, who are over us, and praying that these government leaders would be saved. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, who desires these leaders to be saved. Even though the passage doesn't allude to it, specifically it alludes to it clearly in prayer made for all people, those lost people may be praying for family members, not just government leaders. Right? This passage is about praying for the lost. All men everywhere would repent what the Bible commends and commands. Prayer for employees and employers. We're praying for those who you spend your time with. How often are we praying that we'd be salt and light? We'd have boldness to speak as we ought in our workplace. Many times you think about how difficult it is and the the difficulties God has placed in your life. 
And man, God placed me right beside. I don't know why he did. He placed me right beside this person who grumbles and murmurs and complains all the time. Do you think God's, that's an accident? God's not sovereign over that? It's not for your, your sanctification? Not for you to be a witness? You to be winsome? Be kind? To not engage? You know what I can tell you? It doesn't take very long. Many people don't gossip with Pastor Tim and myself. Right? You know why many times people won't gossip with Pastor Tim and myself? It's because we, don't, we try our best not to allow gossip in our presence. We try to be very careful that we do not gossip ourselves. We try to confront gossip and rebuke it in the lives of believers. We do not participate or attempt to do our best not to participate in the life of unbelievers. And so think about as you pray for employees and employers, think, man, I never have an opportunity to, be, to bring up Christ. Maybe because you're engaging in the very sins that they are committing. Pray for employees and employers. Pray for the nations as well as your neighbors. So you may think, man, we have the worst neighbors ever. Have you gone over and demonstrated the love of Christ? One of the things that we tried to do when my wife and I lived in the neighborhood, we first, or even our marriage began in a, uh, in a ministry that we were trying to reach out to our neighbors, and we were literally planted into a neighborhood, <clears throat> encouraged to reach out to them. And it really helped us to just kind of see others as in one, two camps, either they're saved or unsaved, lost and, and saints. And so it really helped us. And so then they, when we moved out of that ministry and ended up becoming the pastor uh, here, uh, uh, it led to a move. And so in that move, we moved into a subdivision. And we were trying to be really intentional that when neighbors would move in, we would try to take them some some goodies. We had to change, you know, there was a day where you could bring over brownies and cookies that were homemade and people would appreciate that. Now they're, under, they're not certain that there might not be razor blades or, or drugs or things in, the, in the, the things that you, the goodies you make, right? So when you're coming over to your neighbors, uh, the first time to introduce yourself, they're kind of leery. They're like, what in the world are you doing? And then you've made us homemade goodies. We don't trust you or it and it goes in the trash, right? So we've had to come up with some other creative ways <clears throat> besides food to minister to people, which is good and fine. But in, thank you. But in that, um, the, in thinking through those ways, how do we? How often do we think about our neighbors? Are they enemies of ours, or are they opportunities for us to demonstrate the love of Christ to them? And then you think, well, okay, well, I don't do a very good job of my neighbors. And think about this: we should be praying for the nations as well. Prayer should be made for all people. It's mindful of us to be praying for the lost. In all parts of the world. And so not only should we be praying for the lost, but we should pray for laborers. Pray for the laborers. These would be the saints, for Christians, for those who are genuine followers of Christ. And I can make a long list here as it relates to a variety of means and how that would be done. But I just limited it to two for the sake of time. Pray for church leaders. Pray for church leaders in that. And if we're thinking about just praying for uh, labors in general, not just the, the leaders, but labors in general. I listed there Matthew chapter 9 for us, and this is where Jesus is about to send out the 12, and he's about to, or to call the 12, and he says in verse 36 of Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest 
is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Many people believe that that was all you should pray for. You don't pray for the lost. You just pray for the laborers that will reach the lost. This we see in First Timothy 2 and a variety of other passages. We're supposed to pray for the lost as well. But yes, at the same time, pray for those laborers. And as the laborers come, they're church leaders, right? They're, they're leaders who are in authority. And Paul oftentimes asked for prayer for himself that he would be able to speak boldly as he ought, that the gospel would go forth with power and with, with um, uh, fervency. And so in this, you see in Acts chapter 12 where Peter was arrested, and it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church was praying for its leaders. And there's a variety of ways that you could pray for Pastor Tim and myself. You not only pray for me, Pastor Tim, but for other churches and their church leaders. Simply by going through the list of the qualifications for elders in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7, uh, Titus chapter 1, or, uh, Titus 1, 5 through 9, as we just walk through those qualifications. 1 Peter 5, as it talks about uh, Peter, a fellow elder with the elders there, um, as he was writing to them about the, the, the way they should lead and care for the body. If you just begin to look at those lists and begin to pray that that would be the case, that we would manage our households well, that we'd be well thought of by outsiders, that we would not be quarrelsome or greedy for much gain, that we may not be drunkards. and a variety, Just a variety of things that you could be praying for us. Yes, there are qualifications, and so we shouldn't be leaders if we weren't qualified, but at the same time that we would continue to maintain those things. There would not be any uh, area where we would grow lax in, <clears throat> and you would pray for us to have wisdom in leading this great people. And so pray for church leaders, and not just here within our faith family, but for others. How many, how many times in my own life where I've, I've uh, felt shame and guilt at where there would be churches that would do things that I thought that weren't the right way to go about them? As one church in particular, one pastor I could name, I'm not going to name him, but I could name him immediately. The church was thriving and growing as far as new, numerical attendance. But it was done in a shameless way. And instead of praying for this pastor, instead of calling him up and, and trying to have lunch with him and seeing what's going on with he and his, his life, what's going on in his life, what's going on with his wife, what's going on with his children, and be a blessing to him, just critical of him, not necessarily publicly, but just personally. And then come to find out that there was an affair and was unfaithful to his wife and then having to step down from that particular church. I think how often that, yes, others, and was potentially was wrong in his approach to the church and how it should be set up, sure. Didn't line up with Scripture. But was I helpful to him? Did I pray for him? So many times it's that if they're not like us, they're an enemy, and yet the Bible would encourage us that we should be praying for church leaders. We welcome your prayers for us. We need your prayers for us. We appreciate your prayers for us. But then for other churches and other church leaders. And so we should pray for church leaders under the pray for laborers tab. But then also lastly, pray for church members. Pray for church members. We should be praying for one another. As we've studied over the course of these nine weeks, pray thoughtfully for one another. Right? Not to pray pridefully. I'm going to pray things to try to manipulate you. Right? I'm not really talking to God. I'm really talking to you, but I'm going to kind of word it in a way that I want to manipulate you. No, I just, I want what's best for you. As 
Praying spiritually could come to mind as one of our topics from past sermons as we were thinking through that. Or praying thoughtfully. Both of those sermons were kind of lined up together. And it's where Paul was leading the church to pray for their spiritual condition, not simply their physical conditions. And so as we think about praying for one another, one of the things we'd encourage you to use is those membership directories that has everyone's name and just begin systematic going through it. And it gives you a means by which you can accomplish that. The great news is our church isn't so large that it would be cumbersome to do so. Well, one thing that it requires is that we're going to try to carry out those one another commands that we've taught you guys on. The Bible teaches that we should do regardless of what church we're part of. The intent is that we need to know how to pray for one another. So we can pray thoughtfully. We can pray spiritually for one another. And so it requires us to contact each other and love on one another and minister to one another. How can we pray for you? What's going on in your life? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you discipling? Who are you communicating with? What difficulties are? What, any sins in your life that you need to confess? And you think, man, that seems really intrusive. Can I communicate something? But if I had done that with that former pastor, could his life have looked differently now? And the heartache and difficulty that came to that church and then had to find a new pastor, could it have been adverted? Maybe. I don't know. But the reality was I wasn't any part of the solution. And so listen, we need one another. The Bible says we're a body, that we're members of one another, not members like in a membership club, you get your your number. Members are like members of a body, a body part type of member. He's been dismembered, right? So he lost a body part. When When you're not here and you're not functioning in the way you're working, we're missing you. Tim gave this illustration. He says he heard it somewhere, but I think it was original with him and he just gave it credit to somebody else. But the illustration of a lung, right? This body, my body needs a lung. Helps me to breathe that I can carry out a variety of other functions and live at my greatest potential. But then the reality is that one member of the body, the collective whole, also needs a body. That organ can't live on its own. If my lung was on the ground beside me here, it's not going to last very long apart from the body. And so the body needs it, but it needs the body. And so that's why we encourage people that if they're going to leave this church and go to other places, or if they're looking for a church, listen, you need to find the right body, right? So if I'm a lung, I don't want to be a part of a body that's a smoker and a chain smoker at that. But I would rather be a part of a church that's not perfect and it be a chain-smoking body than no body at all because I'm going to die much quicker there than I would be in the body that smokes. So many people are looking for the perfect body and meanwhile die in the, in the search. And meanwhile, that church who might learn that it, it would care for a lung and knew it had a lung to care for, that lung could speak up, might realize it might help that body to quit smoking. And so, listen, if you're hearing the hearing of my voice, your prayers matter. Your personhood matters. Your obedience to the Lord's commands matter. However insignificant you think you may be to God or to this church or to his kingdom, you matter. And so we need to pray for one another. I need to hear 
You, one of the things that Tim and I, we oftentimes, this is in closing, Tim and I oftentimes will walk through our sermon notes together. That's why they're getting longer and longer. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that as much. You know why they get longer and longer? Is that we really do desire to be helpful and try to think through things. Not just to be weighty or heady or intellectual, but there's a variety of people in this room. They're going through a variety of options or a variety of difficulties and a variety of different scenarios that he and I don't have that point of reference. And so without question, every time I show him my notes or some critique, which is good and is right and is helpful, because why? He sees things differently than I do. He has experiences that I do not have. He has things, knowledge that I do not possess, as do you. And so you know what happens when you talk to us? Yes, yes, you do become sermon illustrations. We try not to use your name, but we can't help it. As my children are sermon illustrations, I can't help it. I try to guard against that. I try to guard against you. We try not to share anything confidential. But sometimes, were you talking about me? Sure. Yes. Sometimes. But we don't mean it to be slanderous. We mean it to be educational. That's why we don't share your name. But you know what also you do when you share with us your hurts? When you share with us your difficulties? When you share with us your, your sins? When you share with us your victories? It helps us know how to be better shepherds. And when we know how better to serve you, we know how better to serve this body. Joe, can't remember the conversation I was. I was just with somebody just moments ago. So whoever I was talking to, I'll remember you in a minute. But I forgot our conversation as far as who I was talking to. But they thanked. They were grateful to God for your question and our small group time. They're grateful that you're just willing to ask any questions that relates to your personal life because you want to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of your desire to be transparent, how it opens up other conversations and other questions that manifest themselves in that group time. Listen, men and women, it, to, to reap the rewards of a faith family, it requires some risk. Over the course of this transition, I've been close friends that are no longer here. That's painful. It'd still be painful at times when you think through relationships. And I see, I don't see as things that happen as just the recent. I see things that happen over the course of knowledge of somebody over the, the course of time as I would make my approach to marriage. My wife and I just got mad at any little petty thing. We would have been divorced a long time ago. We see life in the context of tenure. But it can be difficult as, as you walk through things. You see, see individuals leave and, and, and you think, man, I, I want them to remain. But here's the reality. There can come a point where you're saying, well, I'm just not going to risk it any longer. I'm not going to reach out to people. And we will be bad shepherds if we don't risk relationships. And so you might be going through a difficult time and you don't want to risk. But you will never, you'll never reap the rewards if you don't ever risk anything requires us to be transparent and be honest and open with one another. And let me just tell you, the more that we do that, yes, can somebody not keep things confidential? And can you be harmed? Is this body going to be perfect? The answer is no, it's not going to be perfect. It's, yes, there are going to be times where people share things they shouldn't. The body won't respond perfectly in all areas. Absolutely, that's going to happen. There are many, 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 many here who are wise and mature and can keep things in confidence. And I just implore you and I encourage you, man, share in the risk because you will be the ones who share in the reward.
And that re- requires us to risk being transparent, to confess our trespasses one to another, that we may be healed. We need one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to seek one another out in our engagement. Because why? Prayer is vital. It is important to us understanding all that God has in store for us. We need to understand that we need to be praying comprehensively as far as the elements of prayer. And then we need to be praying in the scope. Pray for the lost and pray for the laborers that we should be making prayer for all men. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can pray. It is a privilege for us to be able to pray. You've made a way, you made access to God the Father. And so, Father, we are thankful that you sent your Son and the Lord Jesus has granted access to us to come boldly into your throne room of grace. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. We'd ask how you would continue to reveal through this study of this passage throughout the remainder of this week and even conversations today about how vital prayer is. And there's any temptation to not pray, any temptation to, to grow lazy and even sinful by trusting in your sovereignty, the Lord, that you would show us the errors of our ways. Lord, and in praying that we would desire you all the more, realize how helpless and hopeless we are apart from your aid. I pray you'd show us how to pray more comprehensively to see the variety of ways to pray, the elements of praying. And then, Lord, we'd be able to examine ourselves to see if we're, if we're praying in manners that are selfish or imbalanced. And then, Lord, that it would broaden our scope of who we're to pray for, that those prayers are for those who are unsaved, the lost, and those who are saved, the saints. Those two categories include all individuals on the face of this planet. And then that, Lord, it would broaden our desire to see that your kingdom is a, is a heavenly kingdom, but it encompasses all of the earth. And so may we be praying for not only the nation, for our neighbors, but also the nations as well. So help us, Father, to be a people that's about your word, the ministry of the word, and about the ministry of prayer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.